0: Near the mausoleum gates, he was standing with his back to me next to a tree, the melting snow in the branches dripping down onto his shoulders. His head was bent forward a little to peer into the forest ahead, because the mountain slopes are still a dangerous place to be. The cine-camera dangled at his side. I had been following him for so long that I was bruised and limping, my lungs stinging in the cold air. I came forward, slowly. I can't now imagine how I was able to remain so controlled, because I was trembling from head to toe. When he heard me, he whirled round, falling instinctively to a crouch. But I am not much of a man, not strong, and the full head shorter than he was, and when he saw it was me he relaxed a little. He straightened slowly watching me come a few steps nearer until we were only feet apart and he could see the tears on my face. It will mean nothing to you, he said, with something like pity in his voice, but I want you to know that I am sorry. I am very sorry. Do you understand my Japanese? Yes, do. He sighed and rubbed his forehead with his cracked pigskin glove. It wasn't as I would have wished it. It never is. Please believe this. He raised his hand in the vague direction of the Linggu temple. It is true that... that he enjoyed it. He always does. But I don't. I watch them. I make films of what they do. But I take no pleasure from it. Please trust me in this. I take no pleasure. I wipe my face with my sleeve, pushing away the tears. I stepped forward and put a trembling hand on his shoulder. He didn't flinch. He stood his ground, searching my face, puzzled. There was no fear in his expression. He thought of me as a defenseless civilian. He knew nothing about the small fruit knife hidden in my hand. "'Give me the camera,' I said. "'I can't.' Don't believe I make these films for their recreation, for the soldiers. I have far greater intentions than that. Give me the camera. He shook his head. Absolutely not. With those words, the world around us seemed to me to slow down abruptly. Somewhere on the distant slopes below, the Japanese Sumpohai artillery were laying down heavy mortar fire, "'chasing renegade nationalist units "'off the mountains, rounding them up "'and forcing them back down to the city. "'But up on the higher slopes "'I was aware of no sound at all, "'save the thudding of our hearts, "'the ice melting in the trees around us. "'I said, give me the camera. "'And I repeat, no, absolutely not. "'I opened my mouth then, "'canted forward a little, "'and released a howl directly into his mouth. It had been building in me all the time I'd been chasing him through the snow, and now I screamed like a wounded animal. I lunged, twisting the little knife into him, through the khaki uniform, grinding through the lucky senibari belt. He didn't make a sound. His face moved, his head jerked up so fast that his army cap fell off, and we both stumbled back a pace in surprise, staring down at what I'd done. Gouts of blood fell into the snow, and the inside of his stomach folded out like creamy fruit through the rip in his uniform. He stared at it for a moment, as if puzzled. Then the pain reached him. He dropped his rifle and grabbed at his stomach, trying to push it back inside. "'Cousseau,' he said. "'What have you done?' I staggered back, dropping the knife into the snow, groping blindly for a tree to lean against the soldier turned away from me and lurched into the forest, one hand clutching his belly, the other still holding the camera. He went unsteadily, his head held up with a peculiar dignity, as if he was heading somewhere important, as if a better, safer world lay somewhere out in the trees. I went after him, stumbling in the snow, my breath coming fast and hot. After about ten yards, he tripped, almost lost his balance, and cried out something, a woman's name in Japanese, his mother's maybe, or his wife's.